Welcome to the Rider Dojo. Your host, Steve Diamond. I need more Coke. You gotta skin that smoke wagon or stand there and bleed. <laughs> Everybody, welcome back to the Rider Dojo. Glad to have you back with us. All right, today um, we've gotten some questions in over the past little bit, and so we wanna wanna tell you what's up. I wanna, think this wanna will answer. be our like fourth, fourth or fifth, I think. Fourth or fifth Q and A supporter spectacular. Yeah. So again, for all of you supporters out there, thank you so much. I mean, gosh dang, you guys are awesome. Um, you you guys actually ask freaking awesome questions. Yeah, some of these actually had kind of have a stumped, and as you will see, we will uh, we will acknowledge that we have received your questions, and then we need to go find someone who actually knows about that. Yeah, but we don't want to leave you hanging. Um, one of them in particular, um, uh, a guy named Carl. Uh, thank you for being one of our supporters. You emailed us um, <laughs> when you emailed us. We didn't see the questions. Yeah, we, I mean, we, we missed it. that one. So apologize um, for that. Sorry, dude. But all right. So we're just going to get right into these questions. Now, Carl. Carl asked two questions. And um, and they're, they're, they're both really good questions. But the trouble is, um, we, we, we don't know. <laughs> it's true. All right. So Carl. Carl said, first of all, um, he wants to know if there's like a website or a book or whatever that he can suggest that would help him understand how to get his book published on Amazon. Now, he specifically mentions not Kindle, because from what I understand, that's actually fairly simple. Um, Talk about like Kindle Unlimited versus... Yeah, like um, all that. But he says specifically, I'm interested in having it available for printed publication. Now, here's, here's what I can talk to about that specific part. Um, and, and, and I guess it does kind of relate to... Um, to the Kindle version anyway. Um, when you're laying out a book in a program such as InDesign, which is the program I recommend for this, um, the program's kind of intimidating when you first open it up. It's an Adobe product. All of their products are really intimidating looking. Um, but once you get into it, um, InDesign isn't actually that bad to work with. And it's you can you can do such crazy cool things in there. But the interesting part of it is you can export it. You're going to end up exporting it as a PDF file. You're going to have to deal with the margins, with the gutters, uh, kerning on between word, you know, letters and words. Like you're gonna have to deal with all of that. Um, but from there you can, you can export it to PDF for, for print and also to Kindle. Okay. It, it happens from the same layout file. Yeah. Now the actual jumping through the hoops on the Amazon end of things, I don't know. I don't know either. But uh, and my here's what we knowledge is unfortunately <laughs> about a decade out of date. Well, here's what we do know, Larry. I know how to go through getting a book printed, right? Mm-hmm. Like going through that process, working with an actual printer. Yep. I know that process really well. But here's the more important thing. I know people, and so do you, Larry that know how to do this. Yeah. We're actually going <laughs> to, we're going to punt. Sorry. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to have a future episode. We have a couple guys specifically in mind. We want to have come on as special guests as we've done in the past to talk about, um, uh, self-publishing and the current state of the industry and the tools that they use. Yeah. And I, I think, I'm not sure who it's going to be yet. Cause we have, we have kind of a, we have kind of a 
well, I don't know, an embarrassment of riches when it comes to this with some people we know. We have several different people we want to bring on. We just need to work out the logistics. Yeah. But rest assured, um, once we get them on, we will have that be one of their first topics that they talk about with us. Okay. So on that one, sorry, dude. Um, and then your second question, Carl, which, um, I found interesting. I I actually kind of want to know more. I'm going to ask you a question, Carl. And that's, um, he wanted to know like what equipment we're using for the podcast because he's thinking maybe he'd like to do one. First of all, rad. Um, second, like, well, what's it about? Like, I'm curious, like, like, oh. like, are you, are you an expert at something that, that me and Larry suddenly want to listen to? Like, what is this? Well, uh, unfortunately on the technical end of things, however, we don't know. We use Craig studio. And, and it has microphones in it. It has microphones in it. And there's a table and, and there's, there's a computer. Uh-huh. Now, the one piece of equipment that I'm very well equipped to tell you exactly what it is, is I have a dog clicker next yeah, to Yeah, we me. have clickers for every time we cough. So I don't know if you're a dog person, Carl. Um, both Larry and I are. If you're a dog person, there's these little clickers that you use. Basically, it's to, it's to reinforce good behavior and treats and stuff. So we have those. Um, they're very cheap. You can get them at like PetSmart. Um, that's the only piece of equipment that I know exactly what this is. <laughs> I because didn't know what I that use, was. I use these at home oh. to train my dog that back talks to me now. Well, um, I believe so. And we use those so that way producer Jack knows when to yeah. take care of all our mini errors and cut out our profanity and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But, um, and I believe the program that Jack uses, I don't know for editing. Oh, we, we use Audition. We use, Audition. Ad, we use Adobe Audition. Adobe um, Audition. Yeah. Um, uh, Craig, our audio guy, sets that up for us. He does like level trimming and stuff and voodoo. And then Jack uses Audition to, uh, to edit. And then it's hosted through Anchor. Oh, yeah. That's true. Yeah. yeah. So we host, we host uh-huh. it through Anchor and then uh, Jack puts that on mm-hmm. all, the, all the platforms for us. And, and in terms of... One of the reasons why we like Anchor um, is because, first of all, it, it kind of like distributes it everywhere for us. And also it has kind of a built-in kind of sort of Patreon system without having to be the dirtbags of Patreon. Yeah, that's pretty cool. As far as the actual other stuff, we, uh, we have sent an uh, email to Craig. Yeah. And we're going to ask him and, and yep. see what he can tell you. And he, he said he'd probably actually come up with a more budget friendly mm-hmm. version because this is his professional studio that he's doing all sorts of um, fancy musical stuff in. So, what I guess what I can tell you because I can look at the microphone is it says it's Sterling Audio. I don't know what that means. <laughs> Knowing Craig, this is probably a four or $500 microphone. I have no idea. Um, but he, he'll be able to answer that. Well, I have my home microphone and I just bought what Jack told me to buy. Oh, okay. Yeah. Off of Amazon. And then when I went on Rakita law, so it's like, you know, hundred thousand viewers or whatever, I had it backwards. Oh, (laughs) so I had my directional mic sitting in front of me. I'm on that. I'm on on that podcast for like six hours. That's a marathon podcast. And I had it backwards. So yeah, that was, that's that's adorable. That's how good I am at this stuff. This is the reason Carl, why we haven't answered. It's because we're dumb. We have another question that we are going to partially answer. That's right. And then punt the remainder for another special episode that we are planning. So this one's from Krista. First of all, she says, I love your podcast, which means, you know, that means she's our best friend already. 
That's pretty awesome. I love people on our podcast. So now here's, here's the cool part. Here's the part I like. Larry. She says, anyways, my husband, Chris, is an aspiring author. He's written and self-published two books. Dope. Very cool. Dope. Says uh, they haven't sold that great because of inconsistent marketing. We answered a question about marketing a while ago um, uh, to from from one of our supporters. And, and our answer on that is just like, uh, when it's it comes hard. to marketing. Yeah. There's no, so, there's no golden ticket on that one. So, so Krista, like, you know, tell Krista hang in there. But. Her question, her question is interesting and we're going to, this is going to be a two-parter. We're going to answer it from our perspective and there's going to be a giant, uh, you know, to be continued at the end of it. Okay. The question is this, as a supportive spouse, how can I best help my spouse achieve his dream? Uh, I already carve out time where, where he can write. Um, even though we have a demanding toddler, yada, yada, yada. Um, I'm reading, what did she say? And I'm reading books in the library on marketing. That's awesome. That's huge. Jeez, good grief. Um, and of course, pays attention to our to our delightful podcast. That's probably the most important sentence in here. Thank you. Uh, and then she says, but she's wondering what more can she do? Um, and she says, as strange as it sounds, I'm wondering if you could interview your wives or support people um, to do what they do to aid you. So, okay. That's so a tremendously good this idea. This is a... I... I, I, I Neither Larry or I can can state strongly enough how important it is to have support at home for this stuff. Oh yeah. So, um, we're going to answer this in two parts: one part now and one part at some indeterminate time. When in the we bring our wives on. When we get our wives on. Okay. So first part, I, I want to take the tack on the tactic on this, Larry. Is what is it that that we as the author like to receive as support? Oh gosh, this is so. What, what helps us the most? This is huge. My wife and I, we've always joked about Team Korea in it to win it. Yeah. Um, so my wife supports the heck out of me. Like, mm-hmm. um, she really does. She helps me a lot, and she puts up with a lot of crap mm-hmm. uh, that that my career has drug into our house and drama and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And that's a challenge. Now, my wife has always supported me, and that's the single most important thing. Now, every relationship's different in how that support's going to like um, come fair. about. Mm-hmm. The fact that Krista's like trying to help with marketing stuff, that's, Jeez. that's, that's huge. I that's, mean, that's frankly, frankly, Krista, you're already ahead of the game. That's very impressive, actually. So major props to you. Um, so like me and Bridget, we have what we call a separation of church and state. <laughs> so we have a lot of areas of our life where we don't bring the writing stuff into it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's been for the good of our marriage, honestly. Um, this freaks a lot of people out, but Bridget doesn't read my books. Jenny doesn't read my books. Yeah. See? Interesting. Yeah. You I didn't know this. Yeah. No, you don't need to. And actually there, there's a reason. And people are, when my wife says that, my fans are like, what? Yeah. No, but there's actually a positive thing because what it is, is I have enough critics. Yeah. I don't, I don't need any semblance, any semblance or any inkling of a doubt that, that can drive a wedge between us. I have, I have hundreds of critics. I have one wife. Yeah. And, and I have. one of those is more important than the other. Right. I, so I have plenty of people who can read my stuff and critique it and, and hurt my feelings. Yeah. And that's fine. You know what? If, if, if a person that I've asked to read my book says something to me that is in, in, in some way, shape or form criticism, it's, it's kind of easy for me to take, but if my wife were to say the same thing, if Jenny were to say the same thing to me about that, 
Dude, that would hurt my feelings hardcore. It would, yeah. So we have what we call the separation of church yeah. and state, where so Bridget actually doesn't, uh, she doesn't delve into that. Now on the marketing side of thing, oh yeah, she helps me a lot there. And we always joke, like amongst my fans, she's way more popular than I am. She's the love of <laughs> Mrs. Korea. That's true. I mean, we've done events at like Dragon Con where it's just been the Larry and Bridget show. We wound up last time three hours, just me and her answering questions yeah. uh, to a giant audience. No, so my wife helps me a ton on that. She supports me with the time. It's a little easier for me because I no longer have a day job. But back yeah. when I had a day job, she always tried to help me so I could find that time, get those Saturdays, those those evenings, so I could have consistent time to produce books uh, until I was able to quit my day job. And, and then once you're working from home, it's a totally different ball of wax too. And you got to work out all the details between you and your spouse. So it's not just totally weird. Yeah. You know, then, then she texts me and says, Steve. Get Larry out of the house right now because <laughs> he is going nuts. Yeah. There are times where Bridget will be like, Steve, Larry, you need to take Larry for some Thai food. Yep. And, <laughs> and look, and, and that's, that's us. That's, that's me and Larry and our families like looking out for each other. Right. Yeah. Like you got to understand like this is, um, it's a small world and you know, it's important to have allies and it's important to have community within this community, Yeah, you know, and, and Larry and I happen to have a, happen to have a very good relationship as friends and as colleagues and as coworkers. Um, and we've been doing this together for, you know, better part of a decade now. Yep. Um, but we are also exceptionally fortunate in that our wives like each other too. Yeah. That's actually, pretty that's cool. pretty dope. That's pretty sweet. <laughs> that is actually, that's handy. Um, now for me, this was hard. This was hard for, for Jenny to kind of understand how she could help, how, could she, how she could support. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I think the, the moment that, that Jenny realized, so, okay, look, um, I'm not, like, I'm not popular or anything like that, right? So... So, you know, we're talking about scalable differences here. Economies of scale, so to speak, within yeah. the writing world. So, um, for her, the ways in which she's helping me are, are at a different scale than how Bridget is helping Larry. Where, where Jenny was having some of the hardest time in the beginning is I was attending conventions as a pretend pro for quite a while before I mattered at all. Mm -hmm. to anybody right and mainly that was because i ran a book review site and so i had a different sort of credibility at that point right um and and then i accidentally got turned into a really good moderator and then that was basically the end of my life as i knew it yeah that's a lot of weekends away from home and so i was going to all these conventions mainly with you um and a lot of them and jenny always seemed jenny always thought that i was just kind of playing around these were vacations. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Yeah. These are work. So she went to a con with me up in, up in Missoula. She went to MissCon with me one year. She's like, she's like, well, I'll, how, would it be okay if I just went to this con with you? I'm like, heck yeah, come on down. So we drove up together, went to the con. Um, I love MissCon. I love that convention. Um, I, I think the, it's, it's actually the most relaxing con I've ever been to. Um, went up there and she went, I, it was one of those times when you have like three or four and you have like three or four panels in a row. They're each an hour long. And then in between 
you're flooded by all the people who who didn't want to ask the questions publicly, so they kind of ask you privately. Yeah, and each hour you're switched on like that is very wearying. And so I think I did, she sat through like the first two out of like three or four back-to-backs. And after the second one, she came up to me and she's like, I get it. I get it. This is work. She's like, I'm not going to bug you about this. I said, oh, okay, cool. And then probably the single most interesting thing she does now is um because because again i'm i'm kind of a binge writer because i have to take pto oftentimes Mm -hmm. to to get in chunks of writing yep when i do that i tell her i say hey i'm doing this thing and she goes all right from what day to what day i say this day to this day she goes all right i'm not bugging you at all during that time yep and so whether even if slide food under the door and that's that's (laughs) Well, and, and I'll even sit on the couch or on the table. I'll change where I'm sitting just to kind of freshen things up a little bit. Um, and, and she doesn't bug me in the slightest. And she will do just that. I'll be sitting there typing. I look over and all of a sudden there's a plate of food next to me. And, <laughs> and you know, these sound like small things to some people, right? But to me, they're massive because there's an understanding there and there's a respect there that, that she understands that I'm trying hard to do this, that I want to make this work badly. And so she's on board. She's on board a hundred percent. Yep. That's huge. So we're going to take a quick break and we come back. Uh, we're going to hit some other questions. So Krista, that one, that's the first part of that answer. The next one is to be continued. Do you have the itch for fresh stories from the center to the insane? From horror to science fiction? From fantasy to hilarity? Listen to the Terrifying Lies podcast featuring stories and music from the tilted sideways mind of Craig Nibo. Each episode features a new story amped up with professional sound design to get you right in the middle of the action. But stories don't just come in written word. Listen to a new original song from Craig at the end of each episode. Each composition coming at you with a fresh narrative of its own. Catch a new episode of Terrifying Lies every first and third Friday of the month at high noon with special lunar episodes at midnight on the night of every full moon. Subscribe to Terrifying Lies wherever you listen to your podcasts. <laughs> And welcome back. Now, I know we said to be continued, like, just a couple minutes ago. But um, as soon as we said that, Larry remembered something. Yeah, so Krista, uh, also go on YouTube and uh, search for Karen Feeding of Authors panel. Not Karen Feeding. Oh. That's a totally different Care type of space panel. and space feeding. Yes. Uh, what it is, is uh, it's, a, it's panels that happen uh, at cons now. It's kind of become a tradition. Liberty Con, it's pretty popular, Liberty right? Con, Dragon, Dragon Con, yeah. Uh, I think Spike Con, they did one. Did they? Yeah, they did. Bridget was there. Yeah, That's and right. so basically, what I'm it sure is is usually there. Sharon Weber, who's yeah. David Weber's uh, David Weber's spouse, and my wife Bridget, uh, and then whoever other author spouse is there. Mm-hmm. It's been variable from con to con, and um, it's just them talking for an hour about this exact question. Mm-hmm. 
and Sharon, cause Sharon's been doing this a long time and <laughs> like Bridget, she runs a lot of interference for me and does a lot of marketing stuff for me. Um, and so, yeah, if you can listen to that panel, I really recommend it. If you can find one of those on YouTube. Yep. All right. To be continued for realsies yeah, this now, time. Now we're really continuing. For realsies. Okay. So our next question, um, this one's from Kip. Uh, all right, Kip. So you asked two questions. Both these questions are actually pretty great. They're, they're related. Um, let's see. Uh, I'll, I'll kind of read slash paraphrase. Uh, it says, first, when starting your career as a writer, does it make more sense to attempt to write a one-off novel or to start a series? Okay. And then he, he kind of goes back and forth. Um, so that's the first question. Um, I'll just leave it at that. That's a really good question. Gosh, I... I have a take on this. I don't know uh, if it's the right answer, but it's my personal I, take. I, I do as well. Let's let's see if ours are the same, Larry. Okay. So, so my personal take is I write a novel that could potentially be continued. There we go. And I also write it, though, so that the first book in that series has a satisfying conclusion on its own. Mm-hmm. Uh, that way, if I sell this book and they are not interested in a sequel, I'm okay. Or I sell this book and it does poorly, uh, and then I don't want to write a sequel because, you know, I don't, I wouldn't make any money. Uh, I can stop. So that's my kind of philosophy. When I wrote Monster Hunter, I had a lot more planned. Uh, obviously we're, you know, eight books in now. Uh, when I wrote Monster Hunter, I had, I had, um, more planned yet. I cut it off. It had a satisfying conclusion. I could have stopped there and walked away. And luckily it did well and I was able to continue it. Uh, whereas then like hard magic, I sold that as a trilogy from the get go. Yeah, I was I mean, established. there's, there's no well, like servants of war, right? Like there's, there's no doubt at the end of that, that this is a uh, series. Well, and we actually specifically got told, um, on that one editorially that this was book one of a series. Yeah. And so we looked at each other and went sweet and high fived. Speaking of which, we probably need to, <laughs> we should, maybe we should outline that. We really there. do need to get started on that. <laughs> That's, yeah, we really, we really, really need to do that. So, um, my, my take is exactly the same as yours. Okay. Um, you, you're going to hear people say, oh no, you should do one-offs. And I understand that. Like, I, I, I don't think that that's a wrong answer to no, say, no, no. Stories are just one-offs. Yeah. That's all just, they are meant to be. Yeah. Because to your point, one, you don't know if it's going to sell. Two, you, you don't know if you're going to like doing this. Once you get through the editorial process. Yeah. Um, but, but here's my thing. And I want to take us back to Dave Butler's episode on, on query thing. Yeah. Yep. Great minds, Larry. Yep. Um, remember in his query letter kind of synopses, right? He basically said, uh, I am representing, or, or I am telling this book that is a standalone book that could definitely be turned into a series if need be, basically, right? Right. I think that the value there is way better. As opposed to what Dave said is like, I am right. Uh, this is a the first book of a 10-book series. Yeah, no one wants that, dude. And the acquisitions editor is like, no. It's like, I, I don't. like yeah. Unless you're Brandon Sanderson, that ain't going to happen. Yeah, but he's not writing query letters. Yeah, he, he's past that point. He's the like, publishers I, are querying him. Yeah, he's like, I have a thing. Give me millions of dollars. And, and they say, do. yes, sir. So y- you just have to, I don't know. 
I, I think you just have to understand what it is that you're after. So, okay, one of the next series that everyone knows that I'm writing now, and now it's become, you know, people are sending me memes and pictures of this um, all the time now, and that's Werewolf Cop. Yeah, yeah, you need to, so, you need to get that done because people are like hungry for Werewolf Cop so, <laughs> after we talked about it on this show a bunch. So the, the interesting thing about that is when I, when I was talking to, uh, to Tony about that at Bain before he, before he moved on to the other publisher, um, that was one of the big things that we were talking about is he's like, okay, is this story, can this first story be like pretty well self-contained? Um, but have enough stuff there to turn into a series. And I'm like, yeah, like, and I told him exactly what the plot of the first book is. And then I told him what the stinger would be at the end of the first book to effectively set up what would be book two, but you don't have to. Yep. Right. And he was, he was like, yeah, that sounds great. Like, so. That's what I did with Monster Hunter. If you remember, I had the big final, clump, big final climactic fight. And then I had the, the little epilogue at the end mm-hmm. where the great old ones got hit with a nuclear bomb and they're kind of pissed about it. And who yeah. did, they're all confused though. And they don't really understand humans. So who do they blame? The main character. Yeah. Which perfectly sets up the next book in the series. Exactly. And it was just an epilogue, which could have been left off. Well, I mean, think about TV episodes, right? Like, like, um, let's think about X-Files. We both love X-Files. Oh, it's a great show. Yeah. They, they would do that a lot. They did that all the time. Almost every monster of the week episode, it would, they would have the resolution or whatever. Mulder and Scully would be like, you know, Mulder's like, yep, this is super weird and unexplained. And Scully's like, but science. And then they'd walk away. Right. And then there'd be the eggs. And then there's, and then there's the, (laughs) and then there's the, the stinger. There's the epilogue to the episode that more often than not. They never came back to again, ever, ever. Yep. Um, in fact, the the one episode that I think about a lot with this is it's the weird lamprey episode, oh, one where lamprey, it's in dude? where it's in like the sewers and in the porta potty. Yeah, There's was, a reason why I don't like porta potties. That's gross and awesome. Super awesome. But remember, like they think they kill it and stuff, and then at the very end of the episode, spoiler for an episode that's twenty years old, they they um, you know they they show it like pop up in a sewer in the water somewhere and it opens its eyes and it's lived. They never touch that again. Yep. Okay. That's what we're talking about here. So Kip, our humble opinions is that you, you write a book that you think maybe would be pretty sweet as a series, but make that first book pretty self-contained. Yeah. Give it a satisfying conclusion on its own. Now, once you get, once you get established, like, you know, like, like with Larry, um, you know, when, when Larry starts something, people are more or less assuming it's going to be a series at that point. Yeah. Because I can, and I can sell them too. Is like, I, I can go to Tony, uh, Weisskopf and go, Hey, this is a three book idea. Mm-hmm. And she'll be like, okay, cool. And plus really, cause what they are, this one big story is yeah. just too big for one book. Well, and, and, and from a business perspective, especially once you are established, series make more money than standalones. Well, and it's also, there's a difference between like a planned trilogy or planned five book series and a continuing series. Okay. So, so talk about the difference of there, Larry. Well, so like Monster Hunter is now what I would consider a, cons- uh, a continuing a continu- series yeah. in that I have an overall story arc and I have a, an ending planned for this story arc that we're... But the story has grown so much, and I've added all these additional characters and books from other people's perspective, that it's just gotten huge. Yeah, you know, and so pretty it's much, and pretty much every book within that series, um, 
especially kind of the one-off story pieces like the the Frank's book and the Harbinger book, they have definitive beginnings and definitive endings. Yeah. And uh, so really those can kind of stand alone if they need to. Mm -hmm. They really can. And then I have stuff like um, Guard Magic or Saga of the Forgotten Warrior, which I had a, a, a more contained, shorter arc mm-hmm. that I pitched as that. Like, we're, how's so, that? How's that trilogy of Forgotten Warrior uh, doing, Larry? Well, it turned from a three book to a five book. And the funny <laughs> thing is, Tony Weisskopf knew that too, because he's such a pro. I pitched it to her as a trilogy. She says, what's the plot of the trilogy? She's like, oh, that's adorable. I said, I'm going to do this, 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 and this. And she goes, okay. She's like, you're not fitting that in three books. She's like, that's going to be five books. And sure enough, and I was like, no, no, it'll be three. Sure enough, when I started writing book two, I got through the first half of what I figured book two would be. So book three was really the second half of what, so so it kind of structurally wound up that way. So right now I'm working on what would have been uh, book three. The first half of book three? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Which is actually book four, and then I got book five and I'll be done. So, but now I'm within sight of the end of the series. Yeah. So Kip, I hope that helps you. All right. Now, Kip, your second question, it's kind of sort of related, okay? Uh, and I like this one because I've talked about this before and whatnot. He says, when starting, should one take the opportunity to just any opportunity to write, or is it best to focus on short stories and novels? By this, I mean, is it okay to take opportunities to write one-shots or RPGs or movie scripts or work in gaming or whatever presents, even if it's not specific to novels or short stories? And then he talks about how he's doing other things. Um, the answer, Kip, is yes. That's where Steve comes from. So you got to understand, Kip, I don't Now I don't know if you've, if you remember um, or if you uh, heard some, one of my earlier stories about kind of where I came from. Now, I started trying to do novels at the beginning and I sucked at it. Okay. But I wasn't, uh, to, to use an earlier, um, an, an earlier uh, aphorism that we were talking about, and that was, you know, I just sucked and what was me. No, it was, I sucked and I was like, maybe I'm doing this wrong. What am I, what, what do I need to improve on to, to make this work better? And so then I started writing short stories. And, and that was when I had my first sale, okay? And, and well, my first two sales uh, back to back. And that was cool. But, I don't, that, that's not where I learned. No, ironically enough, it was by writing game fiction. It was game fiction. Yep. So, you know, Larry and I were in a game group together and, um, our GM at the time, Dan Wells said, I will give all of you number crunching munchkins extra XP if you write like a, basically like a journal, a journal entry, so to speak of the, a game journal of the last session. And Larry and I started doing the math and we're like, well, over the course of like 10 sessions, that means I can go up a rank in this game. And which means I'll be way more powerful. I'm going to have way more fun. going to be able to do way more cool stuff. So I'm going to write epic fiction for everything. And then Larry one day write, <laughs> writes this, this piece of fiction based on a total throwaway NPC that we meet in game. It was a guy guarding a door. That yep. was it. That was it. And he wouldn't get out of the way. And he wouldn't get out of the way because Dan didn't know because because Dan, Dan hadn't didn't, plotted what Dan was hadn't on plotted his side that part yet. out yet. <laughs> um, or maybe he had, but he just didn't. He was like kind of railroading us a little bit, and like, no, you can't go there yet, guys. Duh. So Larry wrote this epic backstory as to why that made sense. 
because there was one guy in the group that's getting pissed off about it. But that guy was a loser anyway. <laughs> so Larry wrote this thing up and, and everybody was reading it, um, you know, in between sessions. It was pretty good. too. No, it was really good. Yeah. And, and here's what happened, Kip. I saw Larry do that. And then I looked around the group. And at that point we had three, three professional authors in the group. And, and I'm not counting myself in that because I was not even in the realm yet. And I saw that and I saw how everybody was super jazzed by Larry writing this fiction and how everybody was reading it and commenting on it. And whether they realized it or not, they were giving Larry feedback. Yep. And I went, huh. And so immediately, Kip, here's what I did. Every session, I wrote a short story. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it was just a small thousand word scene. Sometimes it got excessive and it was like 10,000 word novella. And you changed formats. And I changed formats. I changed genres. Narrator. I did, I did first person, third person, second person. I did all of it. I did third person limited, omniscient. Mm -hmm. Um, I wrote action. I wrote journal. I wrote letters. We I wrote romance. We started posting all these to the official forum for the game. Dude, people thought it was the best thing since sliced bread. Well, the guys that run the game were reading it. Yeah. You know, the guys that run the company were uh-huh. like, this is amazeballs. Yeah. And, and, and we're reading the thing. And, and so I was, you got to, I did this for like several years. Yeah. Cause we had two campaigns. Yeah. I, I probably three years total. I think I did this yeah. because there came a point where I, I just couldn't. I got too busy and I couldn't write anymore. That's why we don't do it anymore in the current, current yeah, games just that. because we just don't, don't have time. time. Um, but I was writing this all the time. And, and then I took it a step further in our second campaign that where you were the GM, Larry. And that was, um, we would have like a time break, a time gap yep. in the game. And in that time gap, I would write serialized fiction within yep. it. And then I would just send it out and then everybody, you know, we would get to the game the next day and for probably the first 20 or 30 minutes of the game, all we would do was talk about each other's fiction. Yep. And cause we got everybody doing it. Cause everybody was doing it. And shockingly, even the people who don't consider themselves, some themselves writers who are in the group turned in really good fiction. Tony Badalino. Tony Badalino. Love you, dude. Not the writer, but man, one of the greatest man. guys ever in the history of the universe to play games with. But wrote really well. Wrote really well. Um, his, Real emotion. Like his storytelling, like tendencies were super on point. Yep. Absolutely. And, and so the whole point of, of all of this is to say, there's no one way to learn in how to improve as a writer. You know, for some people, they just go straight into novels. For some people, I mean, I think that that's Brandon Sanderson in a nutshell. Then there's the people who only go in with short stories. You know, that's Eric that's Eric James Stone in a nutshell. Yep. And then there's someone like me, where I learned by writing effectively fan fiction and game fiction for RPGs. Well, my daughter, uh, my daughter's now sold three short stories. Mm-hmm. And the reason she hasn't written a full novel yet is she's going to college. She's mm-hmm. going to school to be a computer programmer and that's pretty intense. And she's working on her C-sharp certification right now. It's kicking oh, her butt. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. You know, it's, it's kicking her butt. 
But she's sold three short stories now. She could qualify for CIFWA. Not that she would, because I taught her better than that. But um, I was about to make a joke. <laughs> <laughs> but you know where she learned to write was uh, under a fake name on fanfiction.net. Yeah. You know? And so, honestly, Kip, it doesn't matter when you're starting out. Yeah, you want to be able to make money on this stuff. But the mm-hmm. main thing is you get good enough. People want to give you money for your stuff. Yeah. You got to get good first. Now it's the, however you do it. And now I will say that perhaps the lessons that I learned um, from writing some of these shorter pieces, whether we're talking about a literal short story or just scenes or whatever, um, I did learn some really valuable stuff there that I think translates and made my novel writing a lot easier. And that stuff like how to make people care about characters really quick, how to get in and out of a scene fast, how to cut extraneous stuff that doesn't actually help the story. Uh, I think all of those things are easier to learn in short fiction because you kind of have to, you know? I wish I had the rights to those because we, we said it in somebody oh else's universe gosh. because I would, I would honestly, I would bundle that and self-publish Jeez, it just because it's such a weird setup. And it was a lot. Oh dude, we got we done. Had it was hundreds of thousands yeah, of words. It was well over a gigantic novel oh in size. Oh my gosh. We so, so Kip and to everyone else out there listening, just write, just write. Have fun. And have fun. You know, Larry and I talked about in a previous episode where, you know, your attitude and your mentality matters here. The more fun you're having, really, the better you're going to write. And the better you write, the faster you're going to get good at everything. Well, and and the better, I mean, all of this, it it all kind of snowballs in a good way. Yeah, it's a positive feedback loop. Uh Uh-huh. And if you can get yourself into a positive feedback loop where not only are you, um, you're, you're being positive about your writing. So you're excited about your writing. So you're excited to write more. So you write more. So you produce more and typically you improve quicker. Yeah. And then you write faster. So you produce more. Yeah. You see the point? The whole tortured artist thing is great in movies and stuff, but it sucks in real life. You don't want to live that way. No, no. I mean, gosh, we, we, we talked about this in, in, in a previous episode, um, about lessons from the range and that's, uh, dude, I was, I was beating myself up so freaking hard. That's not fun. It's not fun. It's not healthy and it doesn't help. No. So Kip, if you can go out and you can have fun writing and you get good at it, that's awesome. The only time that I would say that you need to like back off of that is when you are good enough to produce your own stuff. Don't keep doing too much of the side stuff. Um, do enough that you keep, I remember we talked about the episode of sharpen your saw. Yeah. Okay. If you're, if you're getting kicks out of that, writing some game fiction or writing RPGs or whatever that is, you have fun, you do that. But if it's holding you back from like, you know, doing your craft that you can get paid for, you know, temper that. Well, again, I mean, we, we literally just said that there came a point for both of us where we both said, Okay, well, I, yeah, we don't, we don't have time yeah, to write this anymore. Yeah, we just can't do it now anymore. Because... I've been tempted too, because we've had moments in games. We really have. We hit the first session of the Doom game. I really wanted to write a, um, or the Dune game. I really wanted to write a, a little thing from the perspective of the House Assassin watching all this stuff. Yeah. I really wanted to, but I was like, oh, that'd be about 8,000 words. That's going to take me a couple days to and, write, three yeah, days, four days, maybe. And I, I should be, <laughs> I got well, deadlines. And, and that's the trouble is... 
you're going to get to a point where if people are paying you to do stuff, you do their stuff first. Correct. And so, but when you're in that boat, bro, like high fives. It's a good boat to be in. That's a great boat to be in. It's a boat, but it's an awesome boat. Yeah. So Kip, hope that answers your question. And all of our supporters out there, again, thank you so much. And just remember, if you're not a supporter, there's a lot of perks that come with being a supporter. Early access to to Larry's Monster Hunter uh, merch store, swag store. Um, you know, we we answer your questions. I'm literally I'm literally writing a short story for you guys right now. Um, uh, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what it is. It's Civil War vampires. Oh, is that what they went with? That- well, there, there, there were a couple, there were a bunch of suggestions uh-huh. and these, they were separate. One person said civil war and then someone was like, horror vampires, because you know, they know me. And I'm like, and those two comments just hit at the same time Perfect. for me. And I'm like, dope. Dope. So, so civil war vampires. That's the first I've heard that it, what it was. So okay. awesome. So congratulations, everybody. So I'm, that's, that's the short story I'm writing for y'all soon. Um, once I tackled like three other ones that i'm under contract for (laughs) so um thank you so much uh and you know we look forward to all of your questions you guys ask awesome questions frankly if most conventions would just go off the question list that we've gotten from y'all that would be a pretty epic convention and it would be super helpful to everybody but instead you know they're like mandatory diversity or some bull let's define genre so, uh, supporters and all of you other listeners, we love y'all. Thank you so much. This is Ryder Dojo. We'll see you on the next one. Ryder Dojo is Steve Diamond and Larry Korea. Produced by Jack Wilder and Bear and Hair Studios. Theme song, Word Mercenaries by Craig Nibo. New episodes come out every Wednesday wherever you stream your content. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can help support us by going to anchor.fm slash writerdojo, by leaving a five-star rating and review, and by helping to spread the word. To advertise on the Writer Dojo, email ads at writerdojo.com. All questions and comments can be emailed to questions at writerdojo.com. I don't understand the point of this drill.